0: So we've been talking about this idea of headspace and really we're talking in, in more in a cultural term. We would you would hear it called um mental health. And so, you know, and there's a lot to go into this because really how you think is how your life is going to go. That's why the Bible talks about renewing our mind and watching the thoughts that we give place to and all of these things. Why? Because what we focus on mentally is going to be our life experience, good or bad. You know, it's amazing to me how you can have two people experience the exact same thing and one be bitter and one see the silver lining. It's amazing. and and They walk through the exact same thing, like people even in the same family, like a brother and a sister that will experience something in life. But you hear both of them recount the story and you're like, y'all are in the same family, because it's this perception. And so, so many times is that we can be challenged. And this is, it is spiritual. But it's also something that is universal to every single one of us. That we have to deal with. And so, a couple of weeks ago, uh, as I have admitted many times that I am a... Uh, a busy person. I like to do. I don't like to sit around. I like to go. And so I want to share a little bit of something that was funny to me. It made me laugh a couple of weeks ago. And I want to share it with you. Uh, and so it's a quote that I don't even know who said it. But it made me laugh. And so maybe this is for you this morning. Maybe this is your nugget. And so it says, Every dead body on Mount Everest was once a highly motivated person. So maybe, calm down. Anybody else need to hear that today? You know, let me read that again. Let it soak in little bit of wisdom right here. It says, every dead body on Mount Everest was once a highly motivated person. So maybe calm down. You know, so many times we can get so busy. Look, and I'm guilty. I'm chief among us, chief center of busy right here, okay? And I I mean, if I've got five minutes, I got something else I can squeeze in. I mean, there's got to, you know. and, And so my wife probably thinks this about me many times, like, just calm down. Just sit still. And I'm like, but I got to do something, you know, but you know what? And while this is funny and it does kind of convict me in a a certain way in my mind, my mind never stops. I'm always thinking about something. I'm always analyzing, planning. I'm always just kind of my mind's rolling all the time. But, you know, that's not healthy. There's times where it's just like, dude, you need to just park it. You just need to like hit the stop button, the pause button. You need to like do something you got to calm down and this is my conversation with myself because it's true is that I can be highly motivated but sometimes my highly motivated can actually get me into a mental spiral too because I'm like what well, I didn't get this done I didn't get that done I didn't get this and it's like yeah but you didn't get those three things done today but you got the 15 other things but in my mind I'm like but this was a bad day and you may be that way and just like I have to, you're going to have to unplug and back up a little bit and, and really learn how to manage your thoughts. Because we can just get so busy doing that we don't actually pay attention to what our souls are really telling us. Because, you know, uh, Pastor Terrence in week one actually made a statement, I actually was reading over some notes this week from him, and he said that our mo- that our emotions are like signals from our soul. And if you're frazzled and freaked out and you're on edge all the time that's your emotions telling you it's time to slow down like take a break pull back a little bit maybe say no to some things to allow your soul to rest because we're not meant to just run 90 to nothing all the time and so it's important that we take this time it's over these past few weeks we've been looking at the idea of what's happening between our ears You know, only you are responsible for what happens right up here. Jesus can't change what you think about. I mean, I know that God is all-powerful. I know that he's all-knowing. But you are a free, the Bible calls you a free agent, a free moral agent. In other words, you have a free will. You can do whatever you want. You can think about whatever you want. And God will allow you to make those choices. But we are responsible ultimately for our own headspace. And, and that is in our souls. And so we've been talking about what the Bible has to say about these things. And you know, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it doesn't whitewash people. It just kind of tells us who they are. It tells us all their life details. It gives us a lot of perspective into people. You know, and, and, and I, and I do love that, that the Bible's just honest. It gives me a lot of hope because I see people for their strength, but I also see people in their weakness and God still used them, which gives me hope. What about you? Aren't you glad you don't have to be perfect for God to use you, for God to work in your life? You can say, man, I can be messed up, but I'm redeemed anyways and God's still working. Why? Because we see that throughout scriptures. And so we see the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly parts of people throughout scripture and I love that we don't just see the one angle that shows that all of their good things, and, and all, but we also see their weaknesses, their struggles, their humanity, their failings. And yet we can see this, and I, I love how that God uses imperfect people. I'm very thankful for that, because I don't know who God would use if he didn't use imperfect people. Because none of us are perfect, none of us have it all together. You know, even if you look into the lineage of Jesus, you go and look like in Matthew 1, and you start reading through the names of the people. It's kind of a checkered history there. There's some people that are like, man, that, that, that's Jesus. It makes you feel a little bit better about your family, by the way. You're like, man, you don't know some of my family. You got to come to my family reunion. Go look at Jesus's family. Go look at the people that were around him. I mean, there were people. I'll just give you a couple of, of highlights of people in Jesus's lineage. In his heritage, there were murderers, adulterers, liars, there were thieves. I mean, there was, all, there was some shady folks. And this is the, really uh, Jesus' family. And I want to look specifically at one person today. He might be one of the most familiar, one of the most talked about. He's probably one of the ones that we know the most about in Scripture. And so he actually, we can see, he actually wrote large portions of, of Scripture, and if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about King David. Now, David gave us a lot of insight into his life. We know maybe more about David than any other character in Scripture because so much um, of the Bible is really devoted to his story. And so we see the good, the bad, the ugly. David was actually, he was king, and the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a murderer. He was also an adulterer. He was. I mean, there was a lot of things that had happened in David's life. David lost a child, a baby. David's own son tried to kill him. His father-in-law tried to kill David. I mean, his life was a mess most of the time. And yet the Bible still says that he was a man after God's own heart, even in spite of all of the mess. And so much of the book of Psalms, not all of it, but much of the book of Psalms, is actually the writings of David processing through his emotions. And so we see him in his frustration. We see him in his faith. We see him in all facets of his life because David was a warrior by trade, right? He grew up as a shepherd, so he was a fighter as a teenager, so he had to fight. You know, the Bible says that. I mean, many of us know the story about David and Goliath, and he goes before King Saul, who would eventually become his father-in-law after he defeats Goliath, and King Saul looks at David and says, hey, boy, you don't know what you're doing. This is a trained killer. Let me put my armor on you. And David's like, hey, I, I don't know how to use this armor. Just give me some stones. And Saul's like, son, you're, cra- you're going to die. And David makes a statement. It says, the same God who gave me the lion and the bear is the same one who's going to give me this Philistine today. And I don't know what Saul was thinking, but he's like, okay, I'm going to send this little boy out there against this mercenary this man who had uh, killed just no telling how many people, and it's a one-on-one duel. David walks out there. We know the story. He takes a rock. He slings it. Whew. Boom. Hits Goliath. He runs up, takes Goliath's sword, chops his head off, and like a Braveheart moment, you know. And all of a sudden, David becomes this amazing character in the, uh, in the story of the nation of Israel. And the story's going really good up to this point everything's going really good for David he was anointed king now he's a hero there's songs that are written about him David has killed his tens of thousands David killed one but yet they were singing songs that he would killed his tens of thousands and all of these things and so you know one of the best parts about David killing Goliath was he got exempted from taxes for the rest of his life did you know that that's actually in the, I'm like give me a giant you know like that'd be awesome Anybody else want a giant to go kill to get out of taxes? I mean, hello. And um, so he, he gets out of taxes. He gets a wife out of the deal, who's the king's daughter. And then all of a sudden, the king starts to get jealous of David and tries to kill him multiple times. And, you know, and there's all these things that happen. And so the story of David goes on and he eventually does become king of Israel. But yet we see some kinks in David's armor and David's story. And so one day he was where he shouldn't have been. Because the Bible tells us that when kings are at war with their people, David was at the palace. You know, a lot of times we get in trouble because we're at the wrong place at the wrong time. We put ourselves in a situation and we know that we just shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be with these people. We shouldn't watch this show. We shouldn't do this. Whatever it may be, and yet these things create negative effects and harmful effects in our life. David's story goes is that he was up on the roof and he sees this lady taking a bath. Her name was um, uh, Bathsheba. And he sees her and the Bible says that he saw her and liked what he saw and said, I want her. And as king, he ordered for her to come and see him. Ultimately, he sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. Now, David is married. He's the king of Israel. He's the man after God's own heart, right? And. So he's, she becomes pregnant, and all, and her husband, because David gets word that, hey, she's pregnant, but her husband was at war fighting because you sent him. So David gets a panic moment here. He's like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And so he calls her husband home and says, hey, you know, take a break from fighting, man. You're a good warrior. Go and be with your wife because he's trying to cover up his sin. But this man had great character and says, no, I won't go and enjoy my time with my wife when my brothers are at war and he wouldn't even go into his house and so when this guy gets sent back out david gives the command and says hey put him out on the front lines and everybody else pull back a little bit and just let him out there by himself so that he'll be killed so then i can take his wife and then i can cover up my sin this is actually all in the bible i'm just giving you the highlight stories of it and so her husband goes, he gets killed in battle. He, he marries his wife and David thinks, man, I'm good. Nobody knows except that there was a prophet in the land. And he came and but you, you, you'd have to understand the, the dynamics of the nation and how it worked. But there was a king, but there were also prophets that God would speak through. And This prophet Nathan comes and confronts David, although David doesn't know it. And I won't go into the details of it, but ultimately he sets him up and, and, and he says, gives him a story. And David's like, who is this man? Because this man deserves to die. And the prophet looks at him and says, you are that man. And then David breaks in repentance. And it's like, you're right. And, and all of a sudden he has this moment before the Lord, right? And so we can go look in the book of Psalms. And, and this is just one part of David's story, by the way. There's many others. Many other parts of his story that, that we see him as being a very normal human being. The highs, the lows, the goods, the bads, the, the terrible, the heartbreaking. And yet the Bible still says that he was a man after God's own heart. And yet David had to fight his mind. He had to fight his emotions. He had to fight his feelings many times so that he could continue to, to do what God had called him to do. Because he did have a call in his life. And so I want to take a moment here this morning, a few moments, and look at some, a passage, one passage of Scripture specifically that David wrote. And it's in Psalm 69. And I want you to see uh, really how, he, how he, he processed through his emotions. Because I know that you may say, well, I'm just not a very emotional person. You, you have them. You just know how to bottle them up. But what happens when we bottle things up is that it comes to a, a pressure point until we explode. That was me for years. Is I just took, 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 took until I couldn't take it anymore and then I would just explode. And anger would come out. And I never would voice my, my feelings or my emotions. I didn't know how. Not in a very good way. And so we have to learn how to process what's happening in our soul. It's not just our thoughts. It's our emotions. Thought and emotion are not the same things because your thought can tell you this is crazy and you can still be really angry about it. Your thoughts will tell you this is stupid, but yet you're still ready to fight. So they're not the same things. Emotions come out of your soul. Your mind is your intellect, your thought. Yes, it plays a part in your emotions, but your mind is not your emotions. Emotions are your soul. And it's, I'll say it this way. It's another compartment of your soul. Because your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, what you want, and your emotions. It's a three, really three parts of your soul. Mind, will, and emotions. Thoughts, desire, what you want, and how you feel. Now, if we're not careful, we will give in to what we feel and we'll allow our feelings to rule our life. And this is what happens in this story with David. Is he got in this moment, he kind of gets set up by the prophet. And David gets in his emotions and makes this statement about, oh, whoever this man is bringing to him, he deserves to die. Well, that's in his emotion. And then all of a sudden he gets checked by the prophet and he says, well, yeah, but that's you. And David had to respond in a certain way. He needed to respond in a certain way. Which is actually into repentance. And he says you're right. And he he confesses his sin before the prophet. He goes before the Lord. And, and, and there's actually Psalms that he's written about. His repentance. In this moment. But I want to look at another uh, passage here. In Psalm 69. And again this is David. And, and if you go and read David's life. It was kind of a roller coaster. It was highs and lows. And highs and lows. It wasn't just this. Kind of steadiness that we would think maybe from a a patriarch of the scriptures. I mean, part of the lineage of Jesus is actually described as the line of David. Is that there was a specific time frame that had to go from David to Jesus. And this was what was really the order that God had established it. And so David is a very uh, interesting character in the light of scripture. And here in verse 1 of Psalm 69, this is David kind of caught up in his emotions. I mean, he just kind of, he jumps straight in. He goes from the high dive straight into the deep end. And so he just jumps straight in and he says, save me, O God. Says, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Says, deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. Says, I can't find a foothold and I am in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. Now, this isn't just poetic in his writing. This is actually how David feels. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to uh, be in floodwaters, but it's quite interesting and terrifying is probably the better way to say it. As a teenager, I used to go and fish up in Arkansas. My dad would take me and we would go fish and we would uh, do um, just... We'd go out in waders and all that kind of stuff. But we were a few miles down from the dam. There were a few, like, the you know, there's a lake, dam, river comes out of the bottom of it. and uh, But every now and then, they would do what they call generating. Which, what are they? They're generating electricity from the dam. They would open the dam up. Water would begin to flow out. Would create power. And so, if we were up at the first kind of fishing hole, you could hear the sirens go off. Wah, wah, wah. And that meant... Get out of the water because the river was going to go from like maybe here to like here in about 20 minutes. And it was and it had a lot of current, obviously. But if we were further down river, there were about four or five locations that we would fish. And if we got to the second spot, third spot, fourth spot, you couldn't hear the sirens anymore. And you had to pay attention. You had to do things like pick a rock that's sticking out of the water and if all of a sudden the water's rising and gets above that rock, that's your cue that you better get out of the water. So one particular day we were fishing and uh, there was this one particular spot and we would always cross over the river and then walk down the river like a mile. Uh, so quite a trek. In waders and all these things and all of a sudden we're sitting there and there's a group of us fishing and we're all talking, maybe six of us or something. And um, we... Um, you know, and so we notice that the sound, you, if, if you've ever been in nature, you, you learn to recognize the sounds of things, right? And so we're out there fishing. We're having a good time. We're catching our fish. We're laughing. whatever. And then we keep having this conversation like, hey, is the is the river starting to come up? Well, the water's starting to rise? And you're like, ah, oh, no, it's just fine. It's fine. So this goes on for a little while, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes or something. Then all of a sudden we realize like, hey, the river's coming up we've got like a mile hike back up river to cross because there was nowhere to cross in this particular area. It was too deep normally. And so we are hiking back up. We get up there to where we can cross. It's a little shallower and a little bit thinner part of the river. And so uh, it was my dad and a friend of his who had, was actually just recovered from hip surgery. And we out there fishing. And, uh, I mean, like this was his first outing. From hip surgery, and so my dad's helping him, and so the rest of us are you know teenagers, and so we all take off across the river, and so we're all get across, and my dad's helping his friend, you know we took all their gear from him or whatever, and he's just helping his friend now, if you've ever been in a river, you know that the rocks aren 't flat, nor are they smooth, and they get slippery, and when the water's rising, and what used to be at your knees is now at your waist, or even a little higher up to your chest. All of a sudden, what used to be really easy to walk across is now a challenge. And ultimately, what happens is, is that, and I don't know exactly who, what, all I know is the next thing I saw was my dad and his friend getting taken down river. Because somebody lost their footing. I don't know who, I don't know how, but there they go. Why? Because the, the, the pressure of the water was too much. And it took them down. Now, they were fine, everything... Pretty scary moment. But I learned a lot about floodwaters that day. Namely, don't get in them. And here, this is what David is talking about. He says, hey, the floodwaters are up to my neck. Like, I'm about to run out of air in just a moment. I mean, I don't consider myself claustrophobic. Like, tight spaces don't typically bother me. Uh, You know, they just... Typically don't. I've had a few moments where I'm like, yeah, I didn't like that. And I don't want to go back into that situation. One time I thought I got stuck in an attic in the summer. And I'd wedged myself into a spot and nobody was with me and I thought I couldn't get out. I got a little claustrophobic then. I was like, oh my gosh. But if water's right here, I might start freaking out a little bit. Let's be honest. I'm going to start freaking out a lot a bit. I'm gonna start trying to figure something out, and this is kind of the mindset that David is in in this moment. Said the floodwaters are up to my up to my neck. Not only that, my feet are sinking deeper and deeper. So it's not like he's standing on rocks. I mean, his feet are—he's having a hard time just getting his feet out of the mud. Says I can't even—you know—the the water's rising so high now. Where you know I was stuck in the mud, now I can't even feel the bottom. That's what it's saying here. <clears throat> He says that I'm deep. He says, I can't find a foothold. And these floods are beginning to overwhelm me. Now, I don't think he's actually talking about a physical flood here. I really don't. I think he's actually talking about a mental flood. That he is beyond, like at a breaking point in his mind. Of where he's like, God, I'm about to freak out. I'm about to lose my mind. You say, well, why do you say that? Let's keep reading. He says that I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. In other words, I've, you know, have you ever been to a football game where you scream so much that your voice is almost gone? That's what David is saying. Like, hey, I've, I've prayed all I can pray. I've said everything I can do. I've done all of these things. He says, my eyes are swollen from weeping, waiting for God to help me. In other words, I've cried all I can cry. I've yelled all I've yelled, and I've cried all I can cry. God, I'm done. I don't know if you've ever had this experience in a moment like this, but the mighty warrior, King David, conqueror, finds himself in a moment where he says, God, I am spent. I'm done. And we don't even know all of why or or what caused him to get to this moment. See, David not only lost his voice, I believe that David also lost his sight. I believe he'd been looking for God, waiting for God, praying to God, waiting to see God work. And he's like, God, my eyes have have strained so long that I can't even see straight. And in this moment, David really, and, and we understand because now again, this is Psalm 69. This is the same guy who wrote in Psalms 23, though. Now, let me say it this way, is that his voice had failed, his eyes had failed because he'd been looking for God. He'd been looking for God to work and searching for God in the midst of all the mess. But he knew that God would never leave him as well. So even in this moment, why? Because Psalms 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So even in this moment where David is in, later on in the book of Psalms, he's like, God, I'm still crying, I'm I'm still praying, I'm still looking, but God, man, I'm at my wit's end. I'm there. But yet he still has this knowing in the back of his mind that God is with me. But this is what I, I need you to hear today, is that knowing that God is with you and being able to see or feel him are two very different things sometimes you may find yourself in a moment where by faith you're going to have to trust that God promised me that he would never leave me, that he would never forsake me, and that even in, my, in the worst moments where, yes, the flood is rising up, I still believe, God, you're with me. Even if I can't feel you, even if I can't sense you, I trust that you're true to your word, that you're faithful to me, in spite of all of my emotions. And I'm not invalidating your emotions at all. But what I am saying is that we can give our emotions too much authority in our life. And if we're not careful, our emotions can talk us right out of what God wants for us. And I say this as somebody who has to deal with my emotions all the time. See, I'm, I'm like the duck. I'm, I'm, I'm calm and collected on the surface, but under the water, I'm I'm just, and those are my emotions. And if I'm not careful, my emotions will start to convince me so-and-so did me wrong, I don't deserve this, I deserve that. All of these things can get in my head, and I'll begin to talk like David. God, I can't see you anymore. God, I can't hear you anymore. God, why have you left me now? You know, it's like the children of Israel. Did you bring me out into the wilderness to die? See, those are all emotional feelings. They're thoughts that we've all got to deal with. You know, my my grandfather, one of my grandfathers, my dad's dad, was on a ship called the USS Franklin. It was an aircraft carrier in the middle of World War II, and so it was a, a, a large aircraft carrier. And uh, so they had done all kinds of exercises in the, namely the specific. He was actually on the boat that got the closest to the land of the nation of Japan, and they were doing scouting missions. Planes would go out and they would take out strategic points. And I'll say it this way. They were like the softening blows before we went in at a full attack. And so one day in 1945, March of 1945, it was a very overcast day and a Japanese plane broke through the clouds and dropped two bombs right on the deck of the aircraft carrier, knocked two huge holes. My granddad was on the fourth deck below. So there were roughly 3,000 men on this ship. In total, a thousand men died in the explosions and the fires immediately. Like just, and so, but my grandfather happened to be in the belly of the ship, if you want to call it that. And there was one man, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was a lieutenant and he had found a way to get to the deck. And he actually crawled several hundred feet through an air duct, a ventilation shaft, And got down into the belly of that ship and he led approximately 300 men. He went down three times. He went up and down three times. He had a respirator and so he actually helped deliver 300 men who would have died. One of being my grandfather. Because there was fire. There was all kinds of things. Ultimately the ship didn't sink. It actually was kind of cool. I actually went and read a little bit about it this week just to remind myself. But my granddad never left the ship he stayed on the ship and so he went through the Panama Canal and they took it all the way to New York to fix it and all these things you know but you know one thing that my granddad didn't do was talk about the war very rarely he talked about it very minimally and at his funeral I began to share some stories that my granddad had talked to me about kind of in the middle of the night I don't know why I'd go I'd spend a lot of time with my granddad growing up we were pretty close, and so I'd go and spend a month with him or a month and a half with him during the summer. I, I'd love to go out there with him because he would take me to breakfast and let me go fish, and, and he let me do whatever I want to do, let's be honest about it. And uh, my grandmother would take care of me, so I'd go fish all day, get sunburned, come home, they'd take care of me, all those good things. And, um, but one night, I happened to be at their house, and I remember I was asleep on the couch, and the TV was on, or, and uh, my granddad walks in, and he began to talk to me. Now I'm a boy. If I had to guess, I'm probably 8 to 10, maybe, something like that. Maybe not that old. But he began to, because it happened to be on, and I don't know if he changed the channel or what, but he began to talk to me and said, that was my boat. And I had no idea what he's talking about. He said, well, in World War II, that's the USS Franklin, and where you see it there in smoke. And he began to talk to me about it. And I wish that I could go back and rehab that conversation with him, because I have a lot of questions. But unfortunately, I was too young and too half asleep to really ask any questions. But I was telling my grandmother and my dad and my uncle at his funeral, we're standing there, there were some pictures of my granddad from, from World War II, and we're talking, and I began to share this, and my, my uncle began to cry. And he said, Dad never talked about that to me. You know, and there's a lot of baggage that all of us carry that we never talk about. In terms of a soldier, and when we hear these things talked about, You know, I came across this article from a chaplain of the VA and he made this most interesting statement to me or in in the writing that he wrote. And he says, it's been said that veterans don't come home from war, that they come home with war. And we've heard a lot about this in the last couple of years and it is true. We hear the term PTSD. It's a real thing. It's a very real thing. See, like, just like David had, our soldiers can be very susceptible. They say that one in five soldiers experienced severe symptoms of PTSD or depression. Just to give you an actual statistic, 2012, the VA put out a report that said that we had lost more soldiers to suicide than in the Iraq and Afghanistan confrontations. At one point... Twenty-two soldiers took their life a day in America. Now these are veterans, and you say, "Well, why do we honor veterans?" That's why. I had a friend who was in the push to Baghdad. One of my actually the best man in my wedding was when we originally went into Desert Storm. He was part of the, the Rangers who pushed through and were some of the first there. And I began to ask him one night about it. And he, this was his response. He said, I saw things that no human being should ever see. And he said, I can't talk about it. And I mean, we were, we were almost brothers. I mean, we were super, super close. And I just thought, man, I, I don't know what he saw. And he shared a few things with me, but not in great detail. And I realized not all of us are soldiers. Not all of us deal with things at that extreme, But the thing about it is, is that we have our own, can have our own PTSD. I mean, even the term, I don't even know if you know what it means. It's post-traumatic stress disorder. So if you've had trauma in your life, you're very likely, unless the Lord has worked, unless you've put in some work and allowed the Lord to work and gotten some help... There's a chance that you're still dealing with some things. You're still dealing with the fallout of things that maybe even happened to you as a kid. Maybe even things that you don't even remember, but it's in your soul. And unless those things get healed, you will deal with the ramifications, even if you can't put your finger on it. Like, well, I just don't trust anybody. There's a reason, there is a reason. Well, I mean, you know, people just never do what they say. Why do you think that way? There's a reason. And you need to invite the Lord into those moments. And so, you know, and, and it can look in, very, in a lot of different ways. We can talk about PTSD, but there's anxiety and depression, and they're real. These are real things. This isn't just mind over matter many times. I mean, I consider myself to be a fairly mentally strong person. And I've shared this even a few weeks ago. I've dealt with depression. It's not just mind over matter. It's not just, oh, you've got to replace those thoughts. You've got to change those things. How do you do that? Because, I mean, what we just read there in Psalm 69 sounds like David's pretty depressed. And yet there are really answers. See, there's a lot of people... In our society, that face very traumatic things. Let me just give you a couple. Because we don't think of it, but I've talked to many. Let me say it this way, that there are careers that are more prone to PTSD. I have a sister who's a neonatal ICU nurse. So you're talking about, I mean, babies that have like a point something percent chance to live. My sister has to take care of those babies. So severely premature, whatever, the, whatever it may be, she has to process through her emotions. and She doesn't cry at work. She cries when she goes home. So let me give you just a few, a short list. Police, firemen, doctors, nurses. There may be things that you deal with. I mean, you can even think of it this way. Think about if you were a mechanic, machine shop, and people get injured on the job. You may see some pretty horrific things. Well, those things happen in your soul. They don't just happen at a a surface level. They they affect you. But they're not reserved for particular professions. I've already mentioned it. There may be life experiences that you've had that affect your soul. And, And so what do we do with these things? See, this is the way I would describe depression and anxiety. Just to kind of try to figure out some way to... To put it into words, and you may associate with these, is that depression and anxiety can be like a prison with no walls, with no definition, with no boundaries, and no exits. It can be very isolating, dark, even to the point of becoming very numb. That's the best I can do to put what depression feels like. It's like a dark room that you just, there's no definition to it. It's like, what do you do? Where do you go? And how do I process through these things? What I want you to know this morning is this, is that there is hope. That there really is light, that there really is life outside of that space. So how can you be so confident? Because I know that room very well. Because God delivered me out of that place through the power of the cross, through the work of Jesus. And so I can tell you, as somebody who has walked that road, that God is faithful to his word, that even when I feel like, man, God, I am at my wit's end and I am at my limits, that God still shows up and God is still in the business of showing up. So in in Psalm 69, we need to take a look and see how David responded to his emotions. It says here in verse 13, so remember, David says, hey, I've, I've, I've cried all the tears I've got. I've yelled all the prayers I can pray. I have no voice left. David's like, I'm spent. And yet here he says, but I keep on praying to you, Lord, hoping that this time you will show me favor. He says, in your unfailing love, O God, answer my prayer for your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mud. Don't let me sink any deeper. Save me from those who hate me. and Pull me from these deep waters. And don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep waters swallow me or the pit of death devour me. He says, answer my prayers, O Lord, to to your unfailing love or for your unfailing love is wonderful. Take care of me for your mercy is so plentiful. See, David had to begin to tell himself a different narrative, a different story. He had to start reminding himself that God is good even in spite of my situations that are not good. And sometimes we have parts to play in our prisons, and sometimes we don't. There are two types of sin in Scripture. There's the sin that we commit. Well, we need to go to God and ask for forgiveness for the things that we do. But there's also, the Bible talks about that it's the sin of omission, the sin of commission. We commit sins, but there's also sins that people commit against us. And that takes on many forms, many factors, all kinds of different things. But we have to realize is that God is still faithful. That his grace is enough. That Jesus still heals the drama and the trauma of our pain in our past. Because when we're talking about mental health, it's not so much about today as it is about yesterday. Because so many times things are good and you may have even had the thought. You look at your life, you evaluate your life and you're like, I should be happy. I have the things I want. I'm good, but yet there's something on the inside of me that is still not okay. That's telling you that today is fine, but you've not settled yesterday. I mentioned about our vision earlier about finding freedom. That is what we're talking about. Is that you can be saved, you can, be, you can know the word of God, you can know all of these things. But yet you've still got a past that has its hooks in you, that is holding you back, and it is really costing you the experience that Jesus died for you to have. but we have to take responsibility for our headspace we have to take it on and say i'm not going to allow myself to continue to just focus upon what i feel what my emotions are saying and what i am going to focus on is the promises of god that he said he would always be with me that he would be my strong and mighty deliverer that regardless of what's going on is that i can trust in him See, here's the truth, is that it doesn't matter the label that you may give it, whether it be PS, PTSD, whether it be anxiety, whether it be depression, whether it's stress, is that Jesus is still greater. Doesn't matter the label. Doesn't matter what you want to call it. And look, and I'm not telling you that, hey, Jesus, Jesus just fixes everything, although ultimately, yes, he does but you may not know how to cooperate with Jesus and you may need to go sit down with a counselor and you may need to sit down with somebody who can spiritually help you walk through your past. So if you're going to go talk to a counselor, go to a Christian counselor. Don't just pick anybody. Why? Because you don't need somebody to speak to it from a natural perspective. There is a natural understanding, but there is spiritual application as well. And there's no shame. For far too long in the church, we've made it a bad deal to go and sit down with somebody. I mean, like, even when people come and sit down in my office and they want to talk with me, I've got a big desk that I'm about to take out of there because it feels like a principal's office. I'm just missing the paddle on the back wall, right? But so many times it's like, oh, man... You went and sat down with pastors, is it that bad? We went to marriage counseling. Oh, y'all getting divorced? No, we just want to be better. But in the church, we've had this stigma about even going to get counseling. We have a stigma about, you know, a few weeks ago, Pastor Terrence, this altar was full of people right here. And I can tell you what a lot of the people here were thinking. I wonder what the people behind me are thinking right now. That's not the environment that we want to be a part of our church. The environment that we have is, hey, when I respond to the heart of God, that there are people behind me that have my back, that are praying for me, that are on my side, that we're here to help you and to lift you up and to walk you through into what God has for you. This isn't a place to judge you. It's a place to help you. Why? Because Jesus really is greater. See, deliverance can come in a moment. And sometimes it happens this way and you're like, well, why does it happen in a moment? Sometimes why does it happen in a process? I don't know. Go look in the Gospels and you'll see where Jesus prayed for people and instantly they were healed. And then Jesus prayed for people and then as they went, they were healed. Some people Jesus didn't even pray for. And yet they got around him and they got healed. Why the variance? I don't know. Nobody can tell you that. Some people Jesus laid hands on. One guy Jesus spit, made mud, and plopped it in his eyeballs, and they said eyeballs came. I heard somebody recently say this, so that was very interesting. Side note: now, like even though this man couldn't see, he could hear. Can you imagine? He comes to Jesus, and Jesus is like, "What can I do for you?" Hello, <laughs> I don't have eyeballs, but I can hear you. And the next thing he hears is, <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> You know, I mean, I'm like, Jesus, did you hear me? Like, I need eyeballs, you know. I mean, I can't imagine, like, what's going on in that guy's mind. But maybe I'll ask that in heaven one day. I don't know. But why does God do it in a moment? I don't know for some. Why is it a process? I don't know. I've had God do both in my life. And I can't tell you the difference from one to the other. I really can't. I've had God heal me physically in a moment. And I've had God heal me through the process of time. I've had God set me free in a moment. Moments that I, the defining moments of my life where in a moment of time, God shifted something in me. But there's also been times where there's a process where God says, David, I need you to learn my promise. I need you to learn what the Bible has to say. And I need you to process so that, so that why? So that you don't readily let it go. And God has used both of these methods. And so deliverance can come in a moment. He may walk you out of your valley. But either way, most importantly, God is always with you. Maybe not by your feelings, but by his promise, he is. Because he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never say, man, Jesus is on your side. Jesus paid too high of a price for you. To not receive what he's made available for you. You need to hear that today. Is that Jesus paid way too high of a price for you to suffer in silence. The Bible says that he came to what? To deliver us from all the effects of Satan. From all the effects of darkness. In Luke chapter 4. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus stands up and this was a, a, a big deal. We just read it like words on a page. This was a huge deal to the Jewish culture because they were waiting for this moment. And so they, because they understood this passage is actually quoted from the book of Isaiah. And so here it says, in, in actually in verse 17, it says that Jesus shows up at the temple and they hand him the scroll from the book of Isaiah, which was important. And Jesus stands up in front of everybody in the temple that day, and he begins to read this. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Another way you could say anointed, has empowered me to bring good news to the poor. And he's not talking about financially there. He's actually talking about spiritually. They're they're, they're poor in spirit. But he he goes on, so he's anointed me for what? To bring good news to people who don't, don't have good news. They're in despair, but I've got some good news for you. He said, he sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And it says, having said this, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And it says, all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Israel was waiting for this moment. Hundreds of years, approximately 700 years have gone by since these words were pinned by the prophet Isaiah to the day that Jesus reads them in the synagogue. And they were waiting for that moment that somebody, the Messiah, the chosen one, would stand up and would actually declare that the Spirit of God is upon me. If you waited for something for 700 years, you would want to know, is this the moment? Because they'd been told about this for a long time. So it says all, of, all everybody's looking at him And then he began to speak to them and says, the scriptures that you have heard have been fulfilled this very day. In other words, Jesus is declaring, I am who you think I am. I am the Savior. And if you want to know what Jesus came to do, it's right there in those two verses. If you want to summarize all that Jesus came to do, it's right there. And you can process through it. Is that God's power came in Jesus so that what? So that we could have hope. That our experience is not final. That what I have today does not mean this is the way it always has to be. He goes on, he says, he sent me to proclaim that what? Captives, those who are bound up, can be released. People who even physically, but also spiritually, those who cannot see, will see. He says, so the oppressed will be set free. That word oppressed literally means to be weighed down. It means to place a heavy burden upon. See, and the devil, he, he, even if he can't get us to sin, he'll just keep trying to add weight to us. Weight and just heavy and heavy and heaviness. Isaiah 61 actually gives us another scripture. This is a promise from the Lord. And it says in verse three, it says to all who mourn in Israel, that he being who being Jesus will give you a crown of beauty for your ashes. What looked like it was done for God says, no, I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to make it a thing of beauty. I'm going to give you a joyous blessing instead of mourning. I'm going to give you some praise. I'm going to give you a shout instead of your despair. He says, in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. God is saying, I'm going to rewrite your story. And what it has been does not mean that's how it has to finish. God will rewrite the story. But so many times what has to happen is that we have to be willing to change what's up here. We have to allow God to change the way that we think, the way that we're processing our experiences in life. And so, this is what I would encourage you with as I'm trying to wrap this thing up, because I could keep going for a long time on this, because I'm very passionate about this, because it's very much a part of my story. If you're going to be free, it really comes down to a simple principle. And it's not just solely this, but this is where it starts. You know, I said it a minute ago that there's two types of sin. There's the sin you commit and the ones that people sin against you. One of the greatest tricks in the lies of the devil is to convince you that whatever you've done is unforgivable. Well, that just doesn't hold water against Scripture. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he declared that it is finished, what he was saying was it is enough. That I am enough for every sin. It is. Is finished. He says that I am the lamb. Slain before the foundation of the world. That God had a plan. And just as the the bulls and the goats. And the the sheep of the Old Testament. Were there to cover the sins. I've come to wash the sin away. And so when he hung on the cross. He said the price has been paid. The the paid in full. Has been put upon the bill of sin. And so. The devil will try to convince you. That Jesus isn't enough for you. That what you've done is so bad and it's so just gross in some ways. There's no way God could forgive you. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus absolutely is enough. Not only is he enough, the Bible says that he's more than enough His blood is able to wash your sins, which means more than just forgiving you of your sin. It actually means to wash your sin, to cleanse your conscience. That's why the Bible says that we are now a new creation in Christ. Old things get passed, get washed away. Doesn't mean that I won't remember or have a thought of what I used to do or what I used to or what I, whatever I may have done. But what it means is I no longer feel the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of my past. See, and that is what affects us. The devil is a master manipulator. And if he can keep you living in your past, it means that you're not looking forward. And so you have to receive and and understand and grab hold of even if it's by faith. Even if it's just by faith, saying, God, I believe that I'm a new creation. I may not feel that way, but I don't care about what I feel. What I care about is how you see me. And your word says that you see me as fresh and new and pure before you. That you're not holding anything against me because Jesus has paid my price. He paid the price for my sins. And that's a very important aspect. Is that you have to understand that you can be forgiven right now. And this is why it matters. Because if you can't receive forgiveness from the Lord, you can't forgive anybody else. Jesus made, the made a statement to the disciples and says, freely you have received, now freely give. Receive, now give. So you've got to receive forgiveness to really forgive somebody else. Because it's easy to look at somebody else's sin and think they're horrible and not think about your own. Not remember where God has brought you from. It's a humbling thought and sometimes we need to be humbled. We need to be reminded of who we were before Jesus. Why? Because then we'll extend that same kind of grace to other people. And unforgiveness is huge. You got to be able to receive the forgiveness of the Lord. Forgiving others, look, just like it happened, and this is just a truth. Just because God forgives our sin doesn't make our sin okay. Would we all agree to that? In the same way, when we forgive others, it does not make their sin against us okay either. But what it does do is it invites God in to heal. It doesn't validate it. It doesn't say it's okay on either side. Sin is sin. Sin has devastating effects on either side of that coin. But Jesus is still the Lord over our sin. He's still the Savior over our sin. He's still the deliverer from our sin. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to pray for a moment. I'll give you an opportunity here in just a minute to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. Because it starts with that. And then part of that is asking for the forgiveness of your sins. But this morning, I realized that Some of the content that I have covered is quite heavy and quite close to home. But I want to pray this morning for you for healing. Because Jesus really is enough. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. If he was a healer and a deliverer in scriptures 2,000 years ago, he's still a healer and a deliverer today. It's no different that's who he is the bible says that jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil jesus heals all doesn't matter the degree doesn't matter you can have all your excuses jesus is enough so i want to pray over you this morning that jesus is going to heal and it may be this moment and it may be in the process of time but what matters is, is that healing is happening so let's let's go to the lord this morning and pray dear heavenly father i thank you